Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Warren Kudman. Warren is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Turner Construction Company, a role he's held for roughly seven years now. Turner Construction is a North America-based international construction services company and is a leading builder in diverse markets. The company earns in excess of $14 billion in revenue annually. Warren also recently added responsibilities for marketing and communications within the firm as well. He's a previous CIO at Sealed Air also. Warren, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you, Peter. Enjoy being with you today. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Lunkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this last thing. Every single time they have to enter their password, change their password, can't remember their password or any other problems, please remember Transmit Security. And now on to the interview. Wonderful. Well, hey, uh, I would love to begin our conversation for context, uh, especially for those who may be less familiar uh, with your company. Talk a bit about your role as Chief Information Officer, which, as I mentioned in the intro there, uh, recently includes a bit of an expansion of your responsibilities. So maybe if you wouldn't mind talking a bit about what you do as as CIO, what you've been doing now for nearly seven years, and then uh, if you could also add in some of the new details of uh, your growing set of responsibilities. Sure, absolutely. Um, So as Chief Information officer. Um, I am responsible for the company's IT strategy as well as the operations of our technology portfolio. Um, We look to, at a very fundamental level, improve the experience and the productivity of our staff in the field. That is job number one. But we hope to enable Turner's ability to expand into new services, new markets. We are an international company um, and, uh, you know, provide value added capabilities to differentiate Turner from our competitors. You know, when it comes to the the marketing and and communications responsibility, which is relatively new, um, at fundamental level, now Turner is looking to increase the impact of our marketing efforts look at marketing and communications as another strategic platform to make our audiences, our prospective and existing clients, our prospective and existing employees more aware of our experience, our capabilities, and what differentiates Turner from our competitors. Um, It's a great opportunity to look at the intersection of technology and marketing 
and find new ways to have reach and impact. Hmm. Yeah, fascinating, uh, Warren. Uh, the traditional domain, I'm talking historically, and you would, I, I would imagine, recognize this as a longtime chief information officer yourself, traditionally a very internal operational function, uh, whereas marketing and communications, almost by definition, are externally uh, focused. And I can only imagine, um, I, I'll, 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 I'll uh, uh, do your bragging for you here that 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 it maybe it must be a sign of the degree to which the IT role in your organization has an inside and outside impact that even the, uh, you would be considered uh, for a set of responsibilities that are so definitively externally focused as well. Is that a is that a fair way to typify this and thinking about the rationale for uh, these these gr- the grouping of the set of responsibilities? You know, I, I, I certainly think that that contributes to my expanded scope. Um, and, and we have good examples of where technology is client facing and we're leveraging technology and data to help our clients understand the progress of our projects, uh, collaborate better with our project teams and have the information that they need to be comfortable about our our progress on our on our very complex projects so we are expanding into some of that externally facing capabilities i think at the same time and and i would say you know to my cio colleagues and peers out there that as as senior leaders with broad scope and visibility to the organization our leadership and our impact that we have on an organization gives us the opportunity to take that leadership skill and apply it in new areas. And I think that that was probably a larger contributor to my expanded scope. Um, You know, you take an organization and you align it and you make it more strategic, you make it more impactful. And I think the organization looks at that success and thinks, how can we apply those skills in new areas and new ways? And I'm fortunate to be in an organization which um, is willing to think outside the box and how it applies talent. Uh, so I'm very fortunate that way. No doubt it's, uh, it's, it's a new space for me and I'll be learning as well as hopefully uh, having <clears throat> new, new areas of providing value to Turner. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And I'd love to have begun to get into some of the creative ways in which the technology team has expanded its its areas of influence and value for the company. And I want to get into that. But before we do, I'd love to talk a little bit more about some of the general dynamics from our past conversations that you've been kind enough to share with me, including the fact that yours is an industry that relative to others is a late adopter of technology. And um, and I know there are multiple reasons for this. I, I'd love to, first of all, have you tell the story and, and your perspectives as to why that's the case, as well yeah. as some of the ways in which you and your team have overcome sort of this historical norms to, to ensure that yours is an organization that's uh, able to have sort of an outsized degree of influence and value for the company. Yeah. Um, so when you look at the construction industry, um, it, it has been a lagging adopter of information technology. You can certainly point to a lot of innovations in engineering, in materials, in the process of construction, but the, the application of information technology really had not changed until very recently. There's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, 
Some of it is, frankly, generational. Um, there's a lot of people that grew up in this industry and accomplished amazing feats of engineering without more advanced information technology. Um, some of it is the practical uh, nature of the accessibility of the technology, as well as you know the capability uh, being more matched to the work that we do on construction sites. So what do I mean by accessibility? Well, mobile um, is, is really at the heart of that. Because so much of our work happens in field sites um, and even going from the trailer to the actual uh, structure being erected, you know, that you, uh, before technology became mobile with phones and tablets and laptops, it was very hard to have that technology, um, you know, be timely, uh, to be, be accessible, to be applicable to the nature of the work being done out in the field. And corresponding to that, uh, which also adds to accessibility, is cloud. So we no longer have to, when we set up a job site, uh, we no longer have to worry about building uh, direct connections back to our data center. We can leverage the cloud, the platforms that are available in the cloud. They're, the user experience is better. It's more mobile friendly. Um, and we can provide easy access, not just to the Turner employees, but we have 100,000 trade partners that are on our job sites around the world every day. Many of them participate in our technology as part of the day-to-day -day work of, of building a structure. We couldn't get those 100,000 people into our environment with the ease that we can with the combination of cloud and mobile. So those, those um, uh, technology paradigms being uh, more pervasive really provided the foundation for technology to accelerate in our business. And parallel to that, you started to have innovators and, and venture capital look at this industry that was only beginning to really embrace technology and start thinking about um, new solutions. Many of them, frankly, are, um, are, are spot solutions. They're not comprehensive solutions, although there are there are exceptions to that rule as well. But a lot of a lot of innovators, a lot of entrepreneurs took the opportunity with cloud and mobile to start developing solutions that had valuable impact to individuals and teams working out on a project site. That provided additional um, momentum for further adoption of technology. And so now you go from those point solutions to, to more integrated platforms or the, the desire to integrate those spot solutions to be more supportive of an end-to-end -end process or more supportive of an end-to-end -end role that, that takes place in the field. You, you raise a few different topics I'd like to delve deeper into with you, Warren. You talked about that yours is not the only organization that has technology talent. The nature of your yes. business means there are technologists littered throughout the organization. And moreover, I know again from our past conversations that uh, you know the, those uh, technologists have historically enjoyed great liberty in determining what solutions they might use. And, and the consequence was a lot of freedom, you might say, but at the same time, uh, for somebody in your role, a lot of 
redundant technologies to manage. Uh, you, you, I believe, a reference to, to it as sort of like a historical norm towards the wild, wild West. And so I wonder, as you uh, made the case that you were just describing at the conclusion of that answer, to uh, to standardize to a greater extent, to leverage suites of, of tools uh, to a greater extent, how difficult was it to influence uh uh, influence the teams to, to come to that conclusion. Some of them perhaps even feeling like, look, the thing I like is losing out to something I'm not familiar with. To talk a little right. bit about what that change management activity was like. Yeah. Um, and, and that was quite a journey, I have to say. Uh, when I first joined Turner, we had what was considered an enterprise portfolio of solutions. But when you went out into the field and you saw what people were actually using, we saw um, yeah, effectively the wild, wild west. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a derogatory way. What we had effectively uh, uh, were and, and still do very creative engineers who have a strong affinity for technology. Um, they've grown up with technology and these cloud mobile first providers are, are knocking on the doors of our job sites and selling solutions, which again, do add value and are easy to sign up for. Um, so uh, any new shiny toy effectively that came across a job site could entice somebody to, uh, to give it a shot. Um, and so when, when you looked at this landscape across all of Turner's projects, the, the plus side was we were learning a lot about how technology could be effective. But we're also seeing was we're not making effective use of our buying power. So there's a pure economic um, element to this. And as people moved, as, as, our, as our staff moved from project to project, even within the same geographic market, they might be starting a project with a completely new tool set, which in the beginning, people still found exciting. But ultimately, we came to realize that we were having an impact on our staff in them having to learn a new tool set just when they had become very productive with the last one that they had become comfortable with. So they were going through a learning curve all over again. We were able to give Turner a sense of the total portfolio and the wide uh, a wide degree of diversity of solutions that were out there on our project sites and have a, uh, an informed dialogue, an objective dialogue with data to say, you know, we're inefficient and we're not really doing our staff a favor by having them have to learn different solutions every time they go to the next project. But we did not approach it from a mandate perspective. What we did was we engaged with different leaders in, in our construction organization, as well as the staff. And through having that view to the total portfolio of what was in use in the field, we were able to identify those solutions which seemed to be most capable and were getting effectively the highest rating from the staff that were using these tools. And we basically started more information sharing and more dialogue across project teams and across units. And some of them were doing this on their own, some we facilitated, but ultimately we were able to surface the ones 
that had the most trajectory and had the most uh, value and help the organization move toward the things that should be the standard. We still did not create a mandate, but what we were able to do over time was migrate more and more of our projects to fewer and fewer solutions because, again, we could save money, we could minimize that that uh, that uh, learning curve challenge, um, and we were comfortable that these were the solutions that people would want. So there was a pull effect rather than a push effect with a mandate. That's very interesting. You know, it also occurs to me, you were mentioning earlier uh, some of the the, the importance, the sanctity of, of not only gathering data, but leveraging algorithms, for instance, in, in, in using it better, interpreting it better, making better decisions. Uh, it, it strikes me, uh, a hypothesis I wanted to test with you, that a lot of the work you've just described, Warren, was probably critical in, in setting a better foundation for the data strategy to sit on top of that, for the activities you would undertake in order to make sure that you are, you know, making better decisions uh, more efficiently and, and with with speed, is that a fair yes. assessment? That some of that tough work, I'd imagine, yes. difficult work of influencing others in the direction you've described, turned out to be a pretty critical element for some of the innovation to come uh, thereafter. Yes, look, it's 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 a fantastic point, Peter. Thanks for raising it. Yes, um, and and I wish I could say we were smart enough to have. Made Made that one of our arguments early in this in this discovery and dialogue process, but we did as we started to look now at the opportunity to leverage this massive amount of data we're collecting. You know, we do fifteen hundred projects um, a year. Uh, we generate massive amounts of data from those projects, and we wanted the rest of the organization to appreciate the value of the data and how it could be leveraged. And again, there are smart engineers in the field that are already starting to, to, to leverage that data locally, but we did bring into our dialogue um, during this process that if we don't have more standards, not just the platforms, but how we use them, then our ability to leverage this data is, um, is hampered, it's, it's um, restricted. So that helps us as we now continue this journey because there are new solutions that do continue to come up from entrepreneurs, startup companies, as well as established providers. And we're happy to continue to experiment with new solutions and see if there is a better, higher value added impact than something that's already in place. But we do that now more deliberately and with a decision that says, we, if we have found something that's better than what's in place, then what we should do is have a strategy to replace current with new and do that at a more enterprise level. But uh, going back to your earlier point, absolutely, our ability to do um, more value-added analytics and ultimately move into things like machine learning um, and artificial intelligence that underlying foundation of data and good data governance has to be there. We would not be able to get there with every project using whatever technology, you know, um, you know, met their fancy. 
Very interesting. Uh, for those who are listening only and not watching this, they won't have, don't have the benefit of seeing the the lovely visual behind you of SoFi Stadium, uh, a, a uh, facility where the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, each of them call home. And as I recall, a, a $5 billion project that uh, Turner was critically involved in in its, its creation. You know, that among the many uh, major and complex and multi-year projects that Turner gets involved in, I can only imagine the profound consequences or profound impact that technology can have in ensuring safety and ensuring that the estimates that the organization uh, has put in place are are realized. And so keeping things on track, uh, efficient uh, also safe uh, among a variety of other variables. I mean, talk a bit about, if you would, and I realize each project is very different. Um, t- talk a bit about some of the kind of exciting ways that you've seen uh, that t- your team's uh, implementation and use of technology uh, to benefit the broader organization, how it impacts a project like SoFi or other complex ones like it. Yeah, I mean, you think about um, just the, the scale of, of something like that and the information flow and the document flow and the number of different stakeholders that are involved in, in a project that size. So, you know, Turner, is, and, and by the way, this was a joint venture. So we were partnered with another construction company. But so we have we have the partners themselves. Then we have the owner. We have you know the architect. We have engineers. We have the, the subcontractors. We have uh, vendors providing materials and equipment to the site. Um, you know we we have deliveries that are taking place on site. The you know the challenges with the logistics, with the organization, with the communication keeping everybody informed and up to date and working with the most current information, you know, in the, in the absence of um, the technology we have today, imagine all of that happening with, you know, traditional paper-based architectural drawings. Um, You know, I, I can't even imagine how many thousands and thousands of pages of drawings would be required to represent the complete SoFi Stadium and all of the stakeholders that need to operate and be aligned with that core understanding of the representation of the building on those two-dimensional documents. So the technology now does a couple of things. One is when there is a change on a page in those thousands and thousands of documents, all of the stakeholders can have immediate access to that updated uh, representation of the building so that everybody is working literally off the same sheet of virtual paper, if you will. Um, It sounds really straightforward and fundamental, but it it is incredibly impactful. So now though, let's go beyond that. the industry actually for more than a decade, and Turner was one of the earliest adopters of this, um, now um, has been leveraging a technology called building information modeling, which, which essentially is a virtual three-dimensional representation of a structure. So you've gone from those two-dimensional uh, paper documents to two-dimensional digital documents to now a three-dimensional virtual representation of that structure, that stadium. You've taken a step change in capability of what you can do with that 
with that representation of the structure. You can now use that 3D model to identify where there could be clashes in the design of the building. So just as a very simple example, because you're, there's so many um, elements and layers to the design and to the structure, when you have air conditioning ducts you know, running through the structure and you've got hot and cold water piping running through the structure, it was very hard in the past to know if, if the designer of, of, the, of the plumbing was going to run into the ductwork and try to put pipes through the ductwork, for example. Now all of those clashes can be identified before you ever start building the structure and the redesigns can take place working in a collaboration with all of the different specialty trade partners that are involved in, in uh, realizing that structure. You can also use that model to help you figure out the logistics of that site. So logistics meaning where are we going to stage materials uh, that are delivered? What's the routing going to be for um, trucks coming onto the site? Where are we going to put the cranes? We can simulate um, the cranes being able to reach across the site. And do we have the right coverage and complementary reach of multiple cranes on a job site? So all these things can be modeled and simulated to make the setup and the operation of a construction site more efficient than we would have been able to do in the past without that modeling. And you can imagine all of the potential errors and mistakes and conflicts that can be identified and eliminated because it's being done in the virtual world rather than you don't realize that mistake till you're in the middle of actually erecting the structure and it's much more expensive to correct. Fascinating examples. I appreciate you walking us through that. Um, I wanted to also, uh, I was fascinated to learn from you, Warren, that you've been uh, in the office, uh, at least to some degree, dating back to September of 2020. Um, so still in the grand scheme of things, relatively early in this uh, in the pandemic, uh, pre-vaccination period. And, and I wanted to talk to you about that because there are a lot of organizations who are just now dipping their toe back in the water uh, to return to offices. In fact, some actually are postponing it even to 2022 as we have this conversation now here in late, late uh, 2021. And I wonder, you therefore have had a lot of uh, opportunity to learn about what kind of what the future yeah. of work looks like uh, in, in ways that your peers may not have. And I wonder what, what new conclusions you've drawn now with this wealth of experience. Surely some of the things that you and the team uh, hypothesized uh, in August of 2020 before returning, you had a chance yeah. to test some of those things. And no doubt, I'm sure many of those hypotheses were true and proven true and uh, continued. I'm, I'm sure as with anything, right? Some were false and, and needed some course correction as a result of truly new, new ways of doing work. I wonder if you could share some of the, the top line lessons that you've experienced across the many months now uh, that you, you've been at least partially back in offices. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to do that, and you know I, I think Turner is 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 still learning, um, and uh, I think we've been surprised at what we've learned. But I'll just give you my my personal takeaways and observations. One is, you know, we were able to have people participate in construction projects when they could not be on the site. Now, is that the most effective way for the work to be done? Not always. Uh, but 
you know, once again, our engineers got really creative and with the collaboration tools that were available to them and the ability to do live video feeds and make it mobile, um, you know, people were participating in, you know, daily huddles, even when they were remote, they were participating in, you know, scheduling sessions, planning sessions, um, you know, effectively virtually walking a job site. Um, these things were possible and allowed people that could not travel to a job site or for different reasons, they had to remain at home, they could still participate and, and participate as well in the part of the work that is managing the information flow of the work. Uh, and I think a lot of people were surprised to find that we could continue work with people working remote. Now, ours is very much a hands-on business. And at the end of the day, you know, people have to be on job sites for the work to get done. But we've learned things that could increase our productivity and give us more flexibility in applying our expertise that is embodied in our staff to projects, even when they're not physically present. I think that's really impactful. Uh, in general, sure, We've learned that we can collaborate um, and we can be productive and we can keep the work moving even when we're not in the office. But I do think as well, we were able to do that because of the relationships and the trust that were established pre-COVID. Um, and that, that really was the, you know, I think the grease that kept it all moving and the technology was the platform that allowed us to keep working together. I do think it's more challenging when people come into a completely remote environment, new employees, um, somebody moving into a completely new role. I think the learning curve is a little bit harder. Um, we do learn, I think, by more direct observation and through you know, the ability to just get up and walk, you know, across the aisle or, or down the hall to ask people questions when we might be more reluctant to do that when we are, um, when we are all working remote and you feel like you, you, you know, you don't know if you're interrupting somebody or not when you, you know, you do that, uh, that video call. But I don't want to, I don't want to in any way suggest that we have not benefited from what we have learned. Uh, I do believe we will end up in a place where we have more flexibility in where people are when they are working. Uh, and we prove that we can do it. I just think it's not going to be an either or decision. It's not going to be a decision about, you know, everybody's going to be remote. Um, that that could be remote. I still don't think everybody would be or should be remote, but does everybody need to be in the office every day? I don't think personally we have to go to that extreme either. Uh, and we, you know, we're still working on that balance for Turner specifically. That's great. I appreciate you again just sharing those insights. You know, I was reflecting also as we through this conversation, Warren, uh, those listening would certainly recognize you, you're somebody who thinks very expansively in terms of how technology and digital can impact a business like yours. And I'm curious, you, you have, having spoken to a great number of, of your peers, 
you have this killer combination of uh, a computer science background as an undergraduate. You got an MBA as a uh, you went to the Stern School at NYU, got an MBA uh, to, to presumably to, to fill in some gaps in terms of business acumen. You were a consultant, including six years at McKinsey and Company before joining Air, which, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, you rose the, the ranks there to become CIO, and you currently hold that title now, though, with a more expansive lens uh, now adding marketing and communications to your responsibilities. You're someone, it strikes me, who has been oriented differently than your peer group has, probably from your initial stages in working within IT, as somebody who, again, understands the broader disciplines that are taught within within a business program, and then the specific application of those in a place like the consultancies that you've been a part of, while also building kind of a, a toolkit of regularly being called into scenarios where there are uncertain destinations or tough nuts that your clients are, have asked you to help crack because they've not fully done so, that right. yours must be an un, a, a different orientation in terms of how even from the early stages back in 09, if I recall correctly, when you first became a CIO, as to what could be done from this perch within a company. Is it fair that kind of in thinking about that, the the the, the broader perspective of experiences, uh, as well as your academic background, gave you sort of an unusual perspective as to what the CIO, what was possible from the CIO chair? Yeah, I, I've been very fortunate. Um, I have been in different organizations and had different jobs where I had the opportunity to work on different kinds of problems. Um, they weren't then they didn't always have the technology foundation of the problem. But I, I think what I learned to love is problem solving and to you know be willing to, to, to step into new spaces where there's a lot of ambiguity um, and to trust. I think, I think you know, to do this also, you have to be willing to be a lifelong learner. I, you know, even, even as an IT professional going from one organization to another, I learned very quickly that not everything that worked in one place automatically works in the other. There are cultural differences, there are operational differences, but, you know, so I think, I think you have to always be open to learning, but also want to learn and, and want to understand the perspectives of the colleagues that we are there to support and provide value to. So, you know, I, I think a lot of us as, C, as CIOs have learned we, we can't lead with technology and the technology is the enabler. But the, but the bigger question is always a business question about, you know, what is, what is really the underlying problem? It's rarely only the technology that's the problem. There are, there are questions about strategy. There are questions about process. There are questions about priorities. And if we learn to ask those questions and problem solve those questions with our colleagues, I think we become better CIOs. And generally as leaders, we have the ability to lead in new spaces. That's very well said. I appreciate you reflecting on that uh, a little bit further. I wanted to ask you here at the conclusion of our conversation, Warren, uh, we've talked about a number of trends that are on the rise and those that you're taking advantage of. Any other, as you look to the future, any other trends that particularly excite you that are beginning to make their way onto your roadmap? Yeah, look, I, I, I absolutely think um, 
analytics and applications of machine learning and potentially artificial intelligence. And I do say potentially because I, I don't think we've seen really great examples yet um, in this industry. But there, there's such opportunity to use our data to, to better optimize um, our operations. And I think to better understand underlying drivers of our business um, beyond where we are today. So it's in that sense, it's not anything new, but I'm excited over where we can go by leveraging the data. And by the way, even backing up from analytics one step, because as I mentioned, the massive amounts of data that exist um, to, to execute one project, certainly the size of SoFi Stadium, visualizing that data in smart ways and, and making it accessible and digestible in smarter ways than we have before helps, again, our teams be more productive and gives them faster insights to, you know, to address and focus on the most important things or the most important challenges of the day or on the project overall. We still have work to do there. We're not, you know, we're, we're not at the, uh, at the finish line. If, if I go beyond that, um, I mentioned this, this 3D model that um, is, is more and more prevalent in the projects that we do, certainly the larger projects. And there are, there are people who are specialized in using that technology. And again, thinking about smart ways to take those visualization platforms and plug them in to do different things than we had thought about doing before. For me, those 3D models can be more in the center of the entire life cycle of the project build from, from design and estimating the cost of the project through scheduling, um, you know, the, the documentation, the, the communication across um, all the stakeholders, tracking the delivery, tracking the actual progress of the build, comparing the, the virtual representation of the model against the actual built conditions to see if there are any, any misses there, any misalignments there. Um, and then when the project is done, you have, you have a representation of that building that is virtual that can then be leveraged for the operation of that building going forward. Where Again, I, I don't know that there are many in this industry that are there yet with the model being at the center of that entire life cycle. But I think the model can orchestrate much more of that information flow and alignment across all those different phases of the project. There's great opportunity there. Well, Warren Kudman, thank you so much for joining me today on Technovation. A, a great conversation covering the early stages nearly seven years ago of your time in the organization, the remarkable transformation that you have led, uh, certainly growing the influence and value that your team is providing to the company at large. Some great examples of the many innovations that you've brought to life and, and uh, uh, ending where we started. Now this exciting expansion of your responsibilities, no doubt due to the, the great work you and your team uh, have done and an and ability now potentially to influence even greater aspects of what the company does. Congratulations and thank you for, for a great conversation. Thanks, Peter. It's great talking with you. Thank you.